0: We're trying, like I said, to uh, bring the right kind of people in here, we think, that can build a championship football team.
1: You guys are the most loyal fans in the world, and I know it hurts that we might not be the Oakland Raiders forever, but we are still Raider Nation.
0: I think it's going to be a, you will get an army coming into uh, Las Vegas.
1: It's time for the Vegas
2: Nation Podcast with your hosts Heidi Fang and Michael Galkin everyone. It's Heidi Fang along here with our Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin, and it's time for another edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. You can find us online at ReviewJournal.com slash podcast or any other platform you grab your podcast from. Subscribe, drop us a comment. Please let us know what you think. We'd love to hear what you have to say about Vegas Nation. Today, we are going to be joined by JT the Brick, a Fox Sports radio personality here in Vegas and longtime uh, Raiders personality as well. We'll get his take on some of the moves and signings the Raiders have made. But first of all, Michael, how are you doing today?
0: (laughs)
1: I'm doing well. We're chatting on a Tuesday, which is one week before the Raiders start OTAs, organized team activities, and that's when... Things get a bit more interesting, uh, considerably uh, a bit more competitive, uh, where you actually have the offense going against the defense, different special teams unit facing each other. Right now, Raiders are like many NFL teams in the second of three phases of their voluntary workout program. So during this phase, they they can't really compete against each other. You know, the offense and defense will be on the field, um, kind of doing different things where they're running like perfect play, which is to rehearse their grasp of the playbook and what their steps are and other aspects of their technique. But uh, these are starting to ratch up in Alameda. So that's, that's fun to watch. You asked me how, I'm doing all I can do is talk about football. How are you doing?
2: <laughs> no, that's great. That's what we're all about here on the Vegas Nation podcast, Michael. Football. And like you've mentioned, you know, the Raiders off season is underway in Alameda. The three day rookie mini camp took place uh recently. And I'm curious to know because you're out there every day, you're on that field watching, how did those three first rounders look?
1: Well, you can't really tell too much, quite honestly. Um the all NFL teams vary in terms of how much of rookie media camp they allow media to see. Um, I've had times where I've seen all of day one. Um, I have you know, I think other places I've heard in the past, I don't know how recently this goes or whether it's still ongoing, but you can watch all three days of rookie mini camp uh, for the Raiders this year. We saw 20 minutes of stretching and in individual periods and that was it. Um, and so Cleveland Furl, you know, the ability for me to say how he looked, um, you know, number four overall pick, I'm not really able to do so. If I was able to have attended the entirety of Rookie Mania Camp, I still probably wouldn't have seen much from Furl or Jonathan Abram or Josh Jacobs, Raiders, three first round choices, because when it came to 11 on 11 drills, uh, they weren't really involved, you know, something that Uh, We saw last year, and that was done again this year. Uh, The Raiders weren't looking to put their draft class on the field and have them risk injury. and There was a lot of upside to having them working on a field with a bunch of undrafted rookies and rookie tryout guys, more than 30 of those, uh, looking to buy for a roster spot. All these 30-plus tryout guys are hoping for a contract, and so – the Raiders kind of shut down their top picks and allow uh, them to work in the weight room while that sort of competition is happening before them. Uh, so that's kind of the structure of Rookie Mini Camp. It's, it's more of a, hey, how you doing? This is our playbook. Here's what we're about. Attend the some meetings. You know, this is where things are located around here. Um, but uh, the draft class really didn't do a whole lot from a team drill aspects.
2: Well, Michael, last week you did write about the kind of cast the Raiders are putting together, one that may land them on hard knocks. But as we speak here on a Tuesday, that decision still hasn't been made. But a couple people that you wrote about, uh, defensive tackle Ronald ollie he was on Last Chance You at Netflix, and then Richie Incognito, who has had quite the, I guess you could say, checkered past. He also worked out for the Raiders. What did you make of those two players coming into the fold here?
1: Well, uh, Ollie is, is somebody who we mentioned those undrafted rookie tryout guys. Um, he tried out for the Raiders and was one of a few to earn a contract. And so, uh, you credit him for his journey, which includes at a young age uh, his father killing his mother uh, you know, through, through gun violence. Um, you know, he's overcome a whole lot. And, and, you know, you know, starting off at a junior college, and, and, which was obviously broadcast on Netflix. And then he eventually winds his way to nickel State, and then makes an NFL career for himself. And so we'll see where this journey ends with Ronald Oliver. He's got a long way to go uh, in terms of the you know actually earning a 52 man roster spot. That's not expected, but what a story! Obviously, that would be. Um, you know, he's more realistically vying for an opportunity to be on the team's practice squad, um, but which is a huge accomplishment if he would be able to pull that off. Um, so we'll see. He's an underdog story. But you know you can't help but uh, on the topic of hard knocks, the Raiders really don't want it. I think they probably would be more amenable to the concepts maybe next year when they're scheduled to relocate to Las Vegas. But this year, they really don't want it. Um, So if I was a guess, I would say the Raiders aren't featured on hard knocks, and maybe with the belief that they'll be there next year. But I I just uh, you can't on the same breath can't ignore the fact that this would be extremely interesting television show yeah. with the Raiders at the center of it, with all the personalities, with Antonio Brown, with John Gruden, with Mike Mayock, with others in this locker room. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty intriguing place. That's always my answer. People ask me, you, know, you know, how the Raiders, you know, what's it like covering the Raiders or, you know, how the Raiders are going to do. And I, I can't promise you right now what their performance will be, but I, I can assure you it, it won't be boring. It never seems to be a dull and so uh, we'll see what happens. And we'll see what happens with Richie Incognito. incognito. Raiders need a starting left guard. Uh, they're not satisfied there. They want to add a veteran about Nick. Incognito is someone, as you mentioned, a checker pass. And the NFL is certainly taking a deep dive into that as to whether or not he will begin the 2019 season serving a suspension. And so the Raiders are all about finding who their starting guard is going to be week one. If you don't sign Richie incognito, prepare him to be your starting guard only to be without him for the first four or more games at the start of the year, or however many games it would be. So they're doing their legwork to determine what exactly incognito can provide from the on-field ability to avoid suspension.
2: How much of a shot do you think he would have at getting that starting guard position?
1: I would say pretty good. The last time he he was in the NFL was in 2017. He was a pro bowler for the Buffalo Bills. He's a three-time pro bowler. Uh, he has a very well-documented history with mental health issues, uh, which is something that, you know, I think, uh, you, you look at his behavior in the past, um, that's not, not to necessarily excuse anything. I'm totally out of position to really comment on it, but, um, you know, he had an incident, I believe it was last August at a funeral parlor where he's talking about the guns in his truck and he's talking about, you know, you know, insinuating violence with, uh, employees at this mortuary um it was just uh, it was really um obviously a scary incident uh that led police to arrest him uh, ultimately uh, there was a plea guard a, a, a plea deal a plea agreement that was that was done but uh, nonetheless uh, one example of a number of incidents including a bullying saga there was with, with johnson martin it was the miami dolphins and, and just there's a lot there with Richie and Cognino that you need to uh, go over as an organization and now as an NFL institution as to determine whether or not uh, you know what this man's future looks like in the league.
2: And as you mentioned, Michael, that would be kind of an interesting take for Hard Knocks to follow the Raiders this season, but there are circumstances under which teams uh by league rules can be chosen and some of the rules are this uh the teams could be chosen if they haven't done the show in the last 10 years they haven't been to the playoffs in the last two years and they do not have a new head coach coming into the current season so that leaves the Raiders 49ers Giants Redskins and the Lions uh like you said if i just look at those five teams i'd be hard pressed not to say that the raiders would land on the show and that could come out this uh week as early as this week who will be on that show and uh you know aside from the giants and the raiders i think that those two teams could be in the final landing spot for this show. And, you know, I hate to say, let's put Richie Incognito under a microscope right now while somebody like him is working through those issues. But these are the kinds of things that would stand out on a show, uh, unfortunately. These these are things that make good television. People want to know what's going on with Richie Incognito. Ronald Ali and his story, it's something that's just, you know, it's as tragic as it is. It's something that you like to see people push through, with adversity, And as you mentioned way uh, earlier in another show that we had, the top three draft picks of this team all have fought through really difficult situations in their lives, like Josh Jacobs having been homeless and Cleveland Furl Fer- uh, losing his father at an early age, at young age. So these are things I think people want to know about this team that's trying to build upon uh, this new character, this new background as they build their rosters. Uh, what good do you think could come of this team being on the show? Michael
1: I don't know I don't know what the upside is um I think yeah I'm you mentioned all those names and, and you're right those are the ones that can be forced to do it um there always could be a wildcard team some team that sets up the plate and says you know do it on us but uh, it's probably not the expectation it probably would be one of those teams that you mentioned and uh, it's only fitting that it's it's the word comes out. The decision is made as to which team is announced to be the center of hard knocks. It's only fitting that it would happen while I'm on vacation, which starts tomorrow.
2: <laughs> Stay <laughs> um, on vacation.
1: <laughs> I know. Well, why, that's going to be a great test for me—is whether or not I tweet uh, yeah, if that right, comes out. Right. Um, but it, it, I, I, I think back to the NFL owner meetings, and I was chatting with Mark Davis, the Raiders owner. And he he, he joked. He said he, he made this joke to John Gruden that uh, they'll they're going to fire John Gruden and then rehire him, so he'll be a new coach, so they can't be forced to do hard knocks this year. Um, <laughs> that, that, that through that joke, I think it comes across just how much the Raiders really don't want to do this show right now. You know, the Rams did it in their first year in L.A. I think again that would be they'd be more amenable to that. Uh, next year than they would be this year so we will
2: see well if the team ends up on hard knocks or not Michael there's certainly one thing that we can agree upon is that there are some big names that have joined this team in free agency especially in the wide receiver department but the draft picks alone you have to look at them and think what is going to happen with this team with those picks that they have they they got a ton of picks and I want to know on your end, what part of the team do you think is most improved on paper, the defense or the offense?
1: I would say the offense. I think the defense has done, you know, had some work done to it, certainly in the drafts, that probably won't manifest itself in a real um, impactful way in the win loss column for, until maybe 2020, 2021. I, it seems like the Defense is more long-term build uh, with a lot of the youth that has been infused. Whereas the offense, uh, you look at the investments that have been made, and, and while certainly uh, you know some young pieces have been added, like Hunter Renfro, we spend a little more time talking about him. But uh, you look at just the veterans that the Raiders have added. You know, an offensive tackle, they started two of them uh, who were rookies last year, uh, between Colton Miller on the left side and Brandon Parker on the right. Ah uh, well, Colton Miller will stay on the left uh, right now. That's the plan uh, going into his second year. And the Raiders have invested handsomely in Trent Brown, making him the richest or highest-paid offensive lineman in NFL history, uh, with 36.25 million dollars fully guaranteed at the time of his March 13th signing. And so that there's that addition. You know, Antonio Brown. Uh, you add him via trade, and also resigning his via contract. You reworked his deal. Uh, you also signed Tyrell Williams, uh, the Raiders' top target at the wide receiver position in free agency, and so uh, when you do those sorts of moves, um, it's it, it's with the intent design that it will be a quick turnaround. And uh, the Raiders believe that wide receiver is probably the most upgraded position group on their roster, uh, not just Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams, which is obviously where it starts, but they've also added some. You know, Ryan Grant, a veteran who could be the number three type of wide receiver, although it'll be very interesting, again, to see the aforementioned Hunter Renfro, uh, someone the Raiders uh, traded up to select during the fifth round of of the draft. Uh, He's somebody out of Clemson who uh, you you see his ability to contribute out of the slot. You know, he's not the strongest guy. He's not the largest, he's not the fastest, but he's quick in and out of his breaks. He's got very reliable hands. Um, Spike again, not having the, the largest of hands. I mean, there's no part of the physical measurables with Hunter Renfro where you say, "Wow!" But then you turn on the film and you find uh, a real steady contributor of someone who had his biggest moments in college on the biggest stages in terms of national championship games. Um, he's somebody the Raiders are really excited to get. So I think with Renfro's addition that sort of puts the cap on uh, the offense and particularly the wide receiver group being the answer in terms of what area of the Raiders roster is most improved.
2: I could think of another wide receiver from the past that kind of had the same physical attributes as uh, Hunter Renfro does, and that's Wes Welker. And things worked out pretty well for him in the NFL. So looking forward to seeing what this guy can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what he can do. I think a big part of his ability to contribute year one will be defined by his ability not to necessarily learn the slot position. You know, it's pretty clear he knows that. Obviously, he's got to become familiarized with John Gruden's playbook and what's asked of him when he's aligned in that spot. But he needs to know how to play X. He needs to know how to play. You know, the you know other wide receiver positions because the Raiders are going to move their guys around. You know, they're going to ask Antonio Brown. Line up in the slot sometimes. And if Hunter Renfro wants to be on the field when they're an 11 personnel and Antonio Brown is on the slot, then Renfro's got to learn how to play, you know, the Z. And so those are the sorts of uh, conversations that they've already had with him. Uh, and he seems like a smart guy who will have no trouble picking up the offense and, and the multiple positions that this entails. So uh, we'll see over the course of training camp uh, how he does and how he fares. But uh, the Raiders are really excited about where they stand at wide receiver. The real interesting component to this as well is how does Derek Carr uh, build chemistry with so many new receivers at once? I mean, you look at what the Raiders had going into last season. You know, Antonio, uh, you know, it was Amari Cooper. He's not here. Uh, you know, it was Seth Roberts. You know, he's not here. I can't, just go down the list of guys, uh, Jordan Nelson, who are no longer here. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole new group. And so we'll see how it all comes together
2: definitely so and on the flip side on the defensive end if you look at Cleland ferrell i think that this guy is already going to be under a huge microscope because he was the number four pick overall in the nfl draft and the raiders had people kind of questioning that pick why so early and mayock made it clear to us when he spoke uh, after the draft that there were two guys on his board at that position to take at that spot nick bosa clelan ferrell and that's how he justified it and I can gather that, you know, with all the things that I've seen from Mayock when he did these mock drafts back in the day, and um, he had a good assessment of what players bring to the table. Do you think that Cleveland Furrell is going to be able to handle this kind of pressure and being under that kind of microscope?
1: I don't think there's any doubt about it. I actually don't speak with a certainty, but when you look at this guy's mental makeup, just the way he, you know, comes from a military family, you, know, you mentioned earlier. I mean, lost his father. I mean, he's, uh, he's just responding to adversity over the course of his life. He became such a, an energetic leader at Clemson. You know, he wore that captain, you know, that C on his jersey. Uh, he's just somebody whose mental profile is, I mean, if it was based on how a guy is, is built between the years and years alone, it would, this would be the number one overall pick. I mean, he's a, he's a rare type of guy. Uh, as, a, as a person, as a, from a character standpoint, he just lights out grades in that area. And so, maybe when you look at who wowed people at the combine, and you know those sorts of components, even to some degree when you turn to film, you know Cleveland Furl doesn't jump out as a guy who's going to you know, have 15 sack seasons. You know, that's just not who this is. This isn't the next Khalil Mack. That's not who he's supposed to be. That's not why he was brought to the Raiders. He was brought to the Raiders to lead, to be a steady contributor who can really lead this locker room potentially for a decade. They believe that Cleveland Furrell is that type of individual, and that is who he's going to be asked to be become. You know, it's tough to be that sort of a leader right away, but when you look at where the Raiders are from a defensive line standpoint, or certainly defensive end, there's not a lot of de facto leaders uh, to which Furl can just kind of defer that role. You know, he's going to have to be that guy in that room right away. And I think that'll be a role that he's comfortable with. But again, it's, it's, can you be, a, it's a hard to leave when you're not pre- when performing or when you're not healthy. And so, Furls has got to focus on first the football side and the leadership aspect comes quite naturally for him. That should take care of itself.
2: And off-season workouts will get underway. That's the OTAs, the organized team activities, will get underway on May 21st. So we hope to get more of a look at some of these picks and, just what is going to come together for them on the field. But like you said, Michael, we don't get that much time out there. We get probably about 20 minutes to a half hour to really get an assessment of anybody out there on the field during this time. Uh, so it won't be until the training camp starts that you can really see how things come together especially when they put pads on that's always the best day i think of the off-season training <laughs> but yeah
1: uh, exactly right yeah we, we do get um for otas and for mini camp which is in june uh the veteran mandatory mini camp we do get to see each um when we're out there so there's 10 ota practices we have access to three of them and for those three ota practices even though pads aren't on we are able to see everything for those three days so we are able to see the entirety of practices. Practice, which helps um so we'll start to get a, a good idea but like you said Heidi, not until pads really come on can you get a strong sense as to where a, a guy is i remember um this coach I, I spoke to back when i was covering high school sports in san diego this is early in my career and he was talking about just at the high school level you sometimes think you've got this you know maniac of a football player someone who's going to be a huge asset for your team And then the pads come on and he couldn't tackle a pillow and you just, oh, (laughs) never mind. So obviously that's a bit of a a stark difference that doesn't quite happen at the NFL level, but it does exist in some form where uh, you think the guy's a player, uh, but some guys look better in pads and some guys look worse than pads. And so ultimately the game's playing pads. And so you want to reserve, um, certainly that running back position in particular, you know, certain spots. Uh, you know, different positions are different, but, um, you, you want to wait until the pads come on and even preseason games and even then regular season. Uh, it's just going kind to of have a gradual accumulation of evaluation that starts in the spring and OTAs are the best indicator just because offense and defense are actually competing against each other. But again, all sort of, you know, evaluations must be cushioned because right now these practices are fairly cushioned.
2: All right, everyone, as promised right now on the hotline, we have JT the Brick. Again, you can catch his show on Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas, 98.9 FM starting at 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. JT, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the Vegas Nation podcast.
0: Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Again, and you're on the line here with both Michael Gelkin, our Raiders beat writer, and me. And uh, we were actually just having a little conversation about Hard Knocks. It's still, as of right now, at 1 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, has not been said whether or not the Raiders will be chosen to be on this show. We know the brass doesn't want to see the team on Hard Knocks, but JT, what reason would you want to see the Raiders on that show?
0: Well, I wouldn't want to see the Raiders this year because they have too much happening. There's too many outside influences with the schedule, which they got royally screwed on the schedule with all the travel and everything that they have to do. They're in a transition year, moving to Las Vegas, where many of the staff is already down in Vegas, and they're building a stadium and the practice facility and all that. And why would you want to have Hard Knocks be up there when a lot of the people aren't going to be there? other than training camp, which I get. And then the Raiders have a challenging preseason schedule on top of it. I think it would make for much better television when the facilities open in Las Vegas and you have an opportunity to see the backdrop of the new stadium as they're moving in. And it makes a lot more sense. I mean, Oakland's unbelievable. And there's great storylines still in Oakland. But politically and everything that's happened up there, I'd much rather wait to see the glitter of Las Vegas and I think the Raiders would rather see that too.
2: And this year, like you mentioned, the Raiders, they've been uh kind of building up from the offseason with all their moves here in free agency and kind of building a roster that is going to take this team uh, hopefully into the next phases of competition uh, from what we saw last year. So I wanted to get your take on some of the draft picks that the Raiders have made, um, specifically the top three, the first rounders that the Raiders chose for this team and how these players are going to make an immediate impact.
0: Well, they have to make an immediate impact. I think it's critical for the Raiders who over the last five six seven years i've been with the team over 20 that at times they swing and miss with the draft and they get a bunch of guys who are developmental players that they'd like to develop into starters i think they got three players in the first round who are instant starters uh no doubt about it with cleveland pharrell he's got to come in and be the edge rusher that they haven't been able to nail over the last couple of years the Raiders haven't had a stud star defensive end in quite some time. So as captain of a national championship team, as the winner of the Ted Hendricks Award, who beat out Bosa, obviously because Bosa got injured and didn't come back when he was healthy from the injury, uh, they wanted to have a pure defensive end instead of an edge linebacker in Josh Allen or something similar to what they had with Khalil Mack. So Farrell's got to play and he's got to play at a high level and he's got to develop into a pro bowl talent Because when you take someone at number four overall, he needs to be a pro bowler in his first few years. With Josh Jacobs, that was no doubt the player that the Raiders targeted more than any in the first round. I think they were the most concerned about losing him. They were concerned about possibly the Eagles or another team jumping in front of them. So they got their featured running back for the next five years, I believe, on a rookie contract who's going to come in and get a lot of attempts, a lot of touches, and he's going to catch the ball a bunch in Gruden's passing game because the Raiders haven't had a player like him on the ground since Charlie Garner. And then when it comes to Jonathan Abram, I think they have a weakness at safety. They've had a weakness at safety for quite some time. Carl Joseph has proven that he's not a star player. He's not an elite player. He's just one of those players that you can put out there and hope for the best. And Josh Jacobs instantly becomes the second-best starter they have on special teams and a guy who's going to get a lot of reps who can – barred anyone in the slot from a receiver to a tight end. So I think the Raiders are thrilled to get the three players that they got in the first round.
2: And Josh Jacobs, you mentioned one thing that I like about him as a player is like he hasn't had a lot of wear on him from having a lot of reps out there in Alabama. So I think that that's something that's going to be – beneficial to the team when they start putting him out there to work. Uh, As far as the team and developments with wide receivers, what do you think about the additions of Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, um, you know, obviously J.J. Nelson, and how this is going to really help Derek Carr maybe get back to his 2016 form?
0: Well, I think it's the most improved, upgraded position on the team for obvious reasons. They bring in Antonio Brown, who is just going to demand the double team. He can catch balls while being double team. He has breakaway speed. He'll catch all the 50-50 balls. He doesn't drop balls like Raider receivers from the past. And he's the best wide receiver in football. And he's still in the absolute prime of his career. There's not a weakness in his game overall. And Tyrell Williams is a guy who's had 1,000 yards before. He's another guy, tall, fast, big who I think is going to demand the double team at times, but mostly be in single coverage. I love what he brings to the table. And overall, the depth at the wide receiver position, I think, is really strong. They bring in Hunter Renfro, who should be able to play quickly right out of the gate in the slot and catch some critical third down passes if Carr's in trouble and he's looking for an outlet receiver. So I like what they have here, and I think Carr's going to have better protection this year. I think he's going to feel the pressure to play better. I think he's going to run more on third down and take off and do a little Rich Gannon the way Gannon did when he was successful yeah. with the Raiders. And I just think Carr is set up to have a really big year. This is, this is put up time for Derek Carr. I think we all know that Carr has to have an elite Pro Bowl season if the Raiders hope to contend.
2: All the moves made in the offseason, I mean, halted talks that Carr would have competition at the quarterback position. They didn't go and draft a quarterback in, in this draft. And I think that a lot of people also forget how many offensive coordinators he's gone through in his time there. How do you think Carr in this second year will fit in that Gruden offense?
0: Well, I think he'll fit in much better. It's a great question because of all the turnover He's been familiar with Greg Olson in the past, but John Gruden's offense is very complex. John Gruden last year, throughout the course of the early part of the season, decided to break down the roster during the season, something that, quite frankly, fans and NFL media aren't used to. I mean, it's something that Lombardi and Parcells and all the great coaches, all the Super Bowl coaches have never done before him. Usually you break down a roster in the season and then you try to improve it. Well, Gruden gave... A lot of the young players, the ability to play, let a lot of rookies play. And he started to purge the roster during Carr's season. So I don't think Carr had the ability to have a great year because he didn't have the protection. He didn't have the consistency in regards to personnel. And now he's another year in the offense. And he's got a player like Jacobs who's going to be able to do a lot out of the backfield in regards to catching the ball. If he could pick up the blocking schemes, which is really important to Gruden, and I think Carr's up for the challenge. As you guys all know, Carr got a lot of heat in the offseason. Mm-hmm. A lot of media took a run at him. Many people speculated that the Raiders would go with Kyler Murray if available, or they'd make a move at the position of quarterback, and they didn't. So Carr's got all that behind him now, where I think he can take a deep breath. He understands this is his team for the foreseeable future, but he's got to play at an elite level, he's got to be great this year, and he's shown us signs in years past. He's got to get back to form like he was in 2016 before the injury. One question from
1: me, JT, and this is a game I like to play in the off season, especially during training camp. And it's a bit early to play it here in May, but bear with me. I like to look at who's a pick to click from a team's undrafted rookie signing. You know, who might be that one player. Who is able to make the 53-man roster out of training camp? There's some strong candidates:
0: Evan Bost, wide receiver
1: from UCLA; Aaron Sterling, linebacker from Notre Dame; Alex Ingold, a Wisconsin fullback, the Raiders' coach of the Senior Bowl. Uh, just curious, any of the ultimately 10 guys who the Raiders signed after the draft that you think has the best chance of making this roster?
0: Right, right. Great question, Michael. I think it's a linebacker out of Notre Dame. When you look at the position in general, at that position, I've said this for years at training camp with George Atkinson, when we look at the undrafted players and we play a game on the sideline and say, who's the guy who's going to make the roster? Who could have that impact when we're in the preseason? And I've been a big proponent in bringing in bodies at the linebacker position and make sure that you can find a guy who is fundamentally sound tackling can go sideline to sideline to make plays. So that would be my pick there because it's just been such a weakness for this team over the last five or six years to not have a linebacker, especially this one coming from a bigger program and bigger school, who I think was well coached to come in, fight their way onto a roster, and know that they're going to play and be called on to tackle and make big plays because it's been a weakness for the Raiders for quite some time.
2: All right, JT, as we wrap things up here, I wanted to find out from you. uh, I know that you've been at a lot of the Golden Knights games as well. And the fans in this city 100% got behind the Golden Knights. I wanted to see if on your take, you think that the Raiders will get the same welcome or will it be bigger because it's an NFL team? How do you think Vegas will receive the Las Vegas Raiders when that happens?
0: i think it's going to be tremendous i've been living in vegas since ninety six and i moved back here in two thousand nine and i know the community well and what the golden knights did was absolutely tremendous it's one of the greatest storylines we've seen in sports in the last fifty years and a lot of it had to do with the tragedy of one october and the way that the community came together and the team came together by putting the healing of the community ahead of the hockey season And we hope a tragedy like that, nothing close to that, will never happen again. But for the Raiders, the Raiders are coming in with such goodwill because of all the work that they're doing on the ground with their foundation, with their charity work, being in the community, with their alumni, the players coming here. And I think that fans get it. I think fans in Vegas are hungry for NFL football. They understand that the Raiders are a global brand. They understand that they're going to be sitting at their season ticket holders in the most exciting venue in all of sports since the opening of the palace in Dallas in Dallas, when Jerry Jones opened up that stadium. And I think everybody's going to gravitate to the Raiders. Now what's different with the golden Knights is that a lot of fans didn't have a hockey team. So they jumped on or they were able to leave their other hockey team because it was easy to do because it was an expansion team. It was easy for me to do. I grew up an Islander fan. It was easy for me to cut the cord and say, I'll go with the Vegas Golden Knights because they didn't move here from another city. They weren't from somewhere else. So it was an easy transition for me. It's different with the Raiders. I don't expect Bronco fans and Charger fans and Chief fans to say I'm getting out of my team and I'm going full-blown with the Raiders. But I have talked to a lot of fans that have been craving a home team for the NFL and football, and they're going to get behind this team, and they're going to love the Raiders. And last point on that, I believe that there are going to be opposing fans in that stadium, and it's going to be a good thing. Nothing is ever going to replace the Oakland-Alameda County Coliseum. The historic games that were played there, I stood and uh, sat in the black hole. Nothing will ever compare to that, but it's a new era of fans coming to Vegas to have a good time to see football and celebrate this stadium as the Raiders now take their brand to a completely different level with Vegas, the entertainment capital, fueling it. So everybody I talk to is excited about it, and I can't wait for it to happen.
2: Well, JT, we certainly appreciate the time here and you joining us today on the show. Uh, Again, you can catch JT The Brick on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 in Vegas daily, starting at 4 p.m. Again, thank you very much for coming on the Vegas Nation podcast.
0: Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me.
2: Thank you. Thank you to JT the Brick for coming on the show. You can find all the latest episodes of Vegas Nation on Apple Podcasts, ReviewJournal.com slash podcast, and anywhere else you subscribe to your podcast. We'll be back soon joining you from Alameda, where Michael and I will be at the OTAs. Thank you for listening.